1: back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, continuing our team previews for the 2023 fantasy baseball season. We head to the NL East, to the Atlanta Braves, a juggernaut of a team in recent years, you know, World Series a couple years ago, contending again last year. And uh, when it comes to fantasy, just rostered top to bottom, has some kind of impact at some point in time, it feels like. So it's a great, great team to break down for the season. In order to do so, special guest of the show, friend of the show, gentleman i got the pleasure of meeting in arizona in person let alone had him pod many times and whatnot great guy he has the wonderful podcast the tool shed podcast with eric cross writes fantasy pros he's a lead dynasty uh, analyst at pitcherlist.com and he has this new venture that you guys have probably heard of it's called dynasty dugout it's absolutely outstanding the guys are one of the hardest workers out there especially in the dynasty game mr chris Clegg at roto Clegg on twitter how are we doing my friend
2: Oh, I appreciate the awesome introduction, as always. It's uh, good to chat with you. Uh, one of the best people in the industry. You're the, one of the first people that brought me on a pod, as a lot of people in this industry can say, which is you know a lot of fun. But I bought my first microphone because of you when you invited me on Bench with Elvis. So I went to Best Buy and bought a Yeti. And kind of the rest is history, man. So it's been a, a fun ride over you know, three years' time now, I guess. So started in 2020 right before the pandemic, and golly,
1: it's... Uh, it's been a heck of a ride, man. Hey, it's amazing you made it through the pandemic. That's good. You persevered. <laughs> you persevered. You picked the. I think you tweeted it or said it on a show or something. I don't know. I like talk to you or see stuff from you all the time. It's, uh, you said, I picked a heck of a time to be an analyst because you had COVID and then you had like the different baseballs, and, like, and then you had the shortened season. Like you've had something every year to like be a roadblock, basically to being an analyst. And it's, uh, you, you persevered my friend and it persevered into dynasty dugout. So the floor is yours. Let people know what you got going on in your sub stack over there
2: sure yeah so uh kind of launched my own thing on top of everything else that's going on in my world but uh basically just looking you know, for an outlet to do more dynasty stuff so at the dynasty dugout it's dynastydugout.substack.com. so it's a sub stack and uh i have a lot of free content but also some paid content so if you want to subscribe it's free to subscribe you'll get the daily emails of writing that i do and then You know, paid subscribers also get you know my top prospects, top dynasty ranks, top FYPD rankings. I'm building a dynasty ADP system. I have 14 dynasty mock drafts that are kicking off tomorrow. That will, or I guess today, as you're probably listening to this, but uh, we'll be creating a dynasty ADP system that'll be on there. Got a lot of cool features, like you can connect it with your Fantrax League to see like the best available players, like based on my rankings. It's kind of like RotoWire has, but you can utilize like my prospect and dynasty rankings, and you see that Fantrax upload sheets, like to upload your dynasty league. You name it. I just wanted to be like as personal as I could with this stuff, and you know we've got a cool Discord going on, so a lot of good dynasty chatter in there. So. If you want to check that out, feel free to do so. Like I said, free to subscribe, but also a paid subscription as well. And uh, I always appreciate
1: any support. So appreciate all those that have subscribed so far. Yeah, I highly recommend it for you Dynasty players out there. Chris is one of the good ones, and he puts his time in, which is always worth uh, supporting at another level if you're playing Dynasty. So I I definitely would uh, check it out if you can. But we also have him on today because he is an Atlanta Braves fan. He follows the team very, very closely. If you've seen him on Twitter, he's tweeting out, you know, I've got tickets available if I can't make it. Or he's been to games. He's got great seats when he goes. Um, So he knows this team inside and out, especially this young group that's there that's going to be signed for the next, it feels like 45 years because, you know, they have a great GM in place in Anthopolis. It's just uh, amazing what the Braves have going on here. But we're going to go through hitters and pitchers like we usually do on these team previews. And we'll start at the top with Mr. Ronald Acuna Jr. And since January 1st, he is – the second in ADP, but he's gone as high as one, as low as four. He's like a, he's in the conversation every time it's discussed at, at the position. Came back last year off the injury. Power was down a bit, but the steals were up, or at least more than most expected coming off the injury. The bad average was down a bit too, but there were some like positive things to take away as well. So heading into 2023, Chris, assuming we're assuming he's healthy now, are we thinking full go? Cause like a few years ago, it's like this is a 40 40 dude. Are we back on like expecting the world from Ronald Acuna? I think so, and I
2: do think that there was definitely some timidness with him returning from that ACL injury, and it was really apparent with him in the field. Like He just wasn't moving around as well in right field, and that's. I have partial season tickets, so I'm there a good bit, and my seats are right out there down the third baseline, so I get a pretty good view of him in the field, and he just wasn't aggressive at all, and I think there was just a lot of hesitancy for him to really just – you know, because he got injured on a play in the field. So it's like he just had that hesitancy. There's a lot that, you know, really hinges with power with that push off leg. And I think being fully healthy, we should expect the power to come back. I mean, you look and his contact rates were the best of his career last year. The stolen bases were quite a pleasant surprise. He had 29 and he came back late in the season, not late, but he only played 119 games and still stole 29 coming off an ACL injury. That seems pretty significant. I think that there's easy 30 stolen base upside, especially when you think about the changed environment this year. So we have a totally different stolen base environment. 40 is not the realm of possibility. And I think the 30 home run powers back. So he's one of the few players in the game that I think could have that 40-40 upside. But 30-30 is also reasonable, and that's pretty darn good. So I think yeah. you'd be thrilled with that if you get it.
1: Yeah. Now we're back to the Ronald Acuna season. I think I took him – in one draft recently, instead of Trey Turner at the second pick, which was a big uh, thing for me for someone that's a big Trey Turner fan. But it's like it goes J Ram, than Acuna for me at this point in time. And a lot of that's also because of the kind of outfield issues that many have talked about on many shows that it drops off in a weird way compared to years past. So, Ronald, a healthy Ronald Acuna, um, and it's kind of funny because it was before the injury, he was like most would consider the dead number one. Like it just, he was the guy. And then, he, you know, he gets hurt, and everyone's kind of like, well, you know, you got, you got J-Ram, which is fine. You got Aaron Judge. Like, there's – like, people are starting to make more discussions. Like, this guy was legit the guy everybody wanted at one, now we're trying to find a reason not to take him at one. So, I'm, I'm hoping he's back. I think he's back. I'm with you. I'll, I'll take the chance on him being back. Let's go to second base for another guy that we hope is back in uh, to normal this year. It's Ozzy Albies who missed most of last season with an injury. He looked off even before he got hurt. Things just weren't like he was kind of playing through it. It looked seemed like – the way he was hitting the ball like without the quality of contact we're used to with him the power wasn't quite there it just suffered all around and, um, and now he and then he missed the rest of the season and he's supposed to be back and healthy this year but um, this is a guy that seemed like he was starting to really get to peaking before he got hurt like he kept improving year after year after year and now he takes he took a step back are we in on Ozzie Albies maybe coming back to that Ozzie Albies form or is there any concern from you?
2: As yeah, price is pretty depressed too, which is nice. Like he's not going as you know one of the super high end second baseman. I know he's at the top, but there's kind of a you know a variety of guys going in that range. But you're not having to pay a second round pick for him like you had in the past, and for good reasons. I mean, you mentioned the injuries, but also the fact that it was just a poor performance kind of all around. And I think a lot of that stemmed from a really high O swing chase rate. You know, it was over forty five percent, which is just like. Danger on like that's hobby bias range and yeah. you don't want that at all i do wonder if in part like especially early in the season when they didn't have acuña if he was pressing a bit like trying to be the guy because without acuña in the lineup he he was trying to do too much and i think that did lead to some chase he's always been a higher chase rate guy we've seen him high 30s but he's made it work still i don't think we should expect a good average from him but we got to remember in 2021 30 home yep. run, 20 stolen base guy, yep. 103 runs, 106 RBIs. like That's an elite four-category producer, and a 260 average isn't going to kill you. So my expectations aren't quite that high, but I do think that he rebounds in a strong way because there's other metrics that support that he had a, a improved season on the contact, like in, improved zone contact rate. It was up from 81.5% in 2021 to, to 863 last year. The overall contact rate was up the biggest thing was he just hit, hit the ball on the ground more, which is also something I kind of failed to mention with Acuna, but Acuna's ground ball rate spiked when he returned. And I think it's worth mentioning that with that injury, like the inability to lift the ball consistently is, is very notable. So, no, I think I've got asked that question a couple of times, but no, I don't expect Acuna's ground ball rate to, because it went up to like 47%. Yeah, it, it jumped big time, yeah. I don't expect that to be the norm. And with Albies, like his jumped and was still you know, 37%. The biggest difference that we saw with him is just you know, less line drives and fly balls, so naturally there's going to be more on the ground. His home run to fly ball rate was down. But, again, this was an odd season for him where he was just banged up and then he missed significant time with, like, fluky injuries. The report came out yesterday that he has had no restrictions all offseason after he had the fractured pinky at the very end of the season. It's another fluky injury that kept him out. Um, but I ultimately think that he's going to be fine. Personally, I wish he would just like stop switch hitting. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, it's like the Cedric Mullins route. Like, he's just not yeah. a good switch hitter. Like, if he would just strictly become, you know, a right handed hitter, like he's a 328 career hitter from the right side. Rushes lefties, man. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And we don't know what that would look like if he was, you know, batting right against righties, righties yeah. but he's still like a, a 250 career hitter from the right side. So I'd be interested to see, like, if he, just stuck at the right side like what he could do. I don't know if that's even in the plans or not, but I'm certainly back in on a bounce back here. I mean, just turned 26 years old earlier this month. So, he hasn't even entered the peak of his career. I think this lineup's going to be back to its like fun old ways where they just enjoyed baseball and had a blast like the the World Series year like we saw when they're, especially when they're all healthy and so the pressure's off Albie's, I think, this year the expectations are a lot lower, so I think it's, he's kind of primed to perform.
1: Yeah, he's got an ADP around fifty-five since January first in DC's fourth, uh, second baseman off the board. So it is interesting. I'm with you. Like at worst, you get a twenty-twenty potential guy. Like the biggest concern, I guess, I always have with Albie's. I had it with Swanson. Also, it's where do they hit in that lineup? Because we know it does suffer a lot when they hit farther down. Like roster resource hasn't hitting like sixth right now. Obviously, we would love him a second behind Acuna and in front of the big dogs. Um, and that could still change right now they have Michael Harris second we'll talk about him in a minute there's a lot of moving parts that could take place there Cause that's happened in the past we've seen like Albies and Swanson like flip-flopping all the time and that that can be something to keep an eye on as well so I love Albies I've always been team Albies I've been looking at the buyback there uh, him and a couple other guys at second base so you can definitely look for a potential um spike from as you said so uh, I like the Albies call quite a bit uh let's go to third base and this is a fun one because Austin Riley you know, he's, he had that big, big 2021, hit 303, 33 homers. I was like, Oh, he can't do that again. Well, there's mainly the average. Sure. Still at 273, totally fine. Very, very good. And then he had 38 home runs and improved on his uh, walk rate and and strikeout rate at the same time. So like after two seasons of seeing this from Austin Riley, I'm a believer. I'm like, this is a really, really good hitter. Uh, What's your thoughts on Austin Riley?
2: I think he just is who he is at this point. And I think, People still haven't really fully bought in, which is nuts. But you mentioned between 2021 and 2022, I mean, we're looking at a 288 hitter averaging 35 and a half home runs per season. It's pretty elite, smokes baseballs, hits a ton of line drives, and that's kind of the recipe for success for a higher batting average. And you don't look at Riley and think of him as a high batting average player but he's going to sustain higher BABIPs. Now, of course, he didn't sustain the 368 that he had in 321. But this past year, 315, and I think that he could probably see the BABIP even go up a bit, so probably pulled his batting average up a, a bit too just because of the amount of line drives that he hits, the how hard he hits the ball. I mean, absolutely just smokes baseballs all over the park. And he's going to get to plenty of power. He's 25 years old. I know that we keep talking about age on these guys, but they're all so young. Riley will be 26, like right around opening day. So prime of his career, I don't really see this going anywhere. Like I don't see him declining at all because just looking at the profile and who he is, nothing suggests that there's regression coming. I mean, he even improved. His own contact rate was 86% last year. That's yeah. really, really good numbers there. Across the board, Riley just checks all the boxes, and even though he doesn't provide any speed. I mean, yep. he stole two bases last year, and that was the only time he's stolen any of his career. Yep. That's okay, because with third base being a complete wasteland, like you're going to be thrilled with the production you get from Riley, and I think this is just super sustainable. I mean, even last year. Last year improved his average exit velo by 2.5 miles an hour, career high near 16% barrel rate. I mean, there's a, a season in here where he gets 300 S40
1: home runs. Yep. So. so the fun, the funny thing with Riley is the more I've dug into different players this off season. Um, I, like it's, it's a flaw of, I think many fantasy players. I know i I was a flaw of mine for a while. I totally talked about how I've changed my approach a bit this year, but I've always thought, okay, early rounds, I got to have steals, got to have steals, but you look at guys like Pete Alonso, Jordan Alvarez and Austin Riley and everybody like loves Alonzo and, um, and Yordan, but Riley kind of gets this like, well, I don't know, like treatment. But If you look at the improvements, like you said, Alonzo's doing the same improvements for like three or four years. Now it's just been a couple more years, but they are who you are. Like you're saying, these are power bats. that hit for very good average, and it's because they hit the ball so hard. They have a lot of line drives. They all the, do all the things you were saying. So the more I'm basically saying, the more I've looked in to Austin Riley, I'm seeing a lot of similarities in the Yordons and Pete Alonzos that I like to see in these types of hitters, and it makes me a lot more confident in the, the player that he should be year in and year out that makes him worth the, you know, around 20, 20 21st pick in drafts right now. Now the fun really begins. One of the most controversial Atlanta Braves in fantasy right now is Michael Harris, the second, because he had a monster, monster debut, 114 games, went straight from double A to the bigs. It's It's a Braves thing. 19 homers, 20 steals, 297 average. Like nothing could go wrong for this guy played good defense, like just really, really good ball player slotted to hit second this year. You know, he's got an ADP of like 27. So he's a second round draft pick in 15 teamers right now. You got to pay for him. The question I have for you, Chris is he worth paying for in his? It'll be his first full season. 114 is pretty full. I'll give him credit for that. And he was the rookie of the year, so full enough. Um, This will be his first starting out the gate season with the Atlanta Braves. Are we paying that price when there's guys like, well, I won't even mention it, there's other guys behind him with similar profiles.
2: He's interesting. And I think that there is some regression coming, but I'm not sure it's going to be in the ways that people think. I think people think the power's a bit of fool's gold when you look at his overall profile. But when you look at like exit velo leaderboards, Michael Harris like stands out a lot. His 90th percentile EV in the majors last year was 108.3, which was like ahead of like Raphael Devers, Shohei Otani, like Matt Olson, like Bryce Harper, all these guys, you name it, like his 90th percentile exit velocity was above them. And in the minors, like this was no fluke either, because in the minors, his 90th percentile was 109.2. That would have put him in the club ahead of Mike Trout, Austin Riley, Julio Rodriguez, Pete Alonzo. So the power is legit. Like he absolutely smokes baseballs and you don't really – think that when you just look at him, like his profile doesn't really seem like that type. I think the power's definitely there. Like w- I- I'm seeing 25 home runs out of him. We know the speed is there. Like he's very efficient on the base pass. I think the biggest question for a lot of people is, you know, is there going to be significant batting average regression? We saw a 24.3% strikeout rate and he hit the ball on the ground a lot. So can he make those two things work? There was there's platoon risk. I think people see that as well. So some people are gonna question can he stick in the lineup against lefties? And it's a legitimate question, I think, when we really think about it. and that's it, something that's super important to think about at this draft price. You can't afford to draft a platoon player at, in the second round. He said 27 overall. Like there's just no way you can do that. And so you have to really think about these potential options. Now the, the positive thing is he plays gold glove center field. So I think that's going to keep him in the lineup consistently. And hopefully that'll be good enough to pretty much let him play every single day. And you go back and I've tried to examine like, was, were there these split issues in the minors? And yeah, I mean, we're, I'm seeing the same thing. Like he did have struggles against lefties in the minors as well. So could this be consistent? Maybe, but I do think there's room for improvement. We are looking at somebody that was kind of thrown in the fire, and he was 21 and absolutely dominated in ways that we couldn't have expected. Yeah. And when I go back, and I went back to 2021, and the numbers are actually a lot better against uh, left-handed pitching there, where he slashed 2.96, 3.69, 4.18, so. That looks a lot better now. That was also when he was a high A, so something to think about. But when I look at Harris, I do see a player that improved throughout last season. We saw the ground ball rate while it was really high, he did trend in the right direction in August and early September. You know, I kind of spiked a bit towards the end of the season, and he kind of went back to who he was. But I legit think that Michael Harris is a 2020 bat. I think there's more power than than twenty home runs. But I also think that we probably while well, he does make good contact, he's probably not a, a two ninety seven hitter. I think we're looking at probably a a two seventy hitter. So whether you confront that at that draft price or not is it's up to you whether the power speed outweighs that or not. And where he is in the lineup. He he could hit second on against righties, but against lefties he's gonna hit the bottom of the lineup. Like maybe him and Albie switch spots basically. Yeah. Right. And there's oh. Also, a lot of depth throughout this lineup. So yep. early season slump, he drops down. And these are all factors to weigh and consider. Yeah. I, I do think that Harris will be legit. But how legit, I guess, is the question.
1: That's the million-dollar question. That's why it's like, okay, we know his talent's great. We saw it last year. If he did it for a whole 162, that'd be freaking amazing and be, be worth every bit of pick 27. There's no questioning that either. But it's like for me, like I'll, I'll throw some quick ones out there and you don't have to go deep on them. Just like basically, yes or no's. Would you rather take um, this? Is where like I, I, the conundrum might come to. Would you rather have Michael Harris at his pick 27 or would you rather go with uh, where does he go here? Randy Rosarena at 37.
2: Feel a little better about a Rosarena safety.
1: Uh huh. Well, that's part of my thing. Like it could, and they're both the power speed combos. Maybe the average is a bit different, but safety 100%. Uh, and then he also talked draft price, like, okay, so you have um Harris at twenty seven, you have said Mullins at forty six.
2: I may probably go Harris there. I just the power,
1: I think will be pretty significant difference, but it'd be interesting. and then last one, um you have Harris at twenty seven or Adelise Garcia at fifty eight. <laughs> that one's fun because I'm afraid that yeah. he's just gonna fall off the cliff, but he's been so good. He's like I back, back here like a I like
2: <laughs> speed machine. It's hard to argue against because he's been – it's two straight years, but I'm like just looking at the underlying metrics, like he's going to fall off, but yeah. who knows when. So, yep.
1: and I, The price is great if he I doesn't know. fall off.
2: <laughs> right. So at the price, like I probably would take uh, at least there.
1: Yeah, that's why it's just it's – just, it's nothing against Harrison. People like kind of get all mad if you kind of downplay him. It's like the dude's super good. We're not saying he's not. It's just the risk-reward factor. Like at that point in the draft to pick 27 – you know, you got guys going around him. You have Emmanuel Classe, Sandy Alcantara, DeGrom, Lindor, Strider, or like you have a bunch of dudes going around that you know what you're getting from them. Like, you know, you can almost write down right now within like a you know 5% on either side, this is what we're getting. Um, where Harris is just such a wide variance at that point in the draft. So what – What kind of risk are you going to take? But we won't make this the Michael Harris podcast. We'll move on. Um, It's just such a polarizing name in fantasy right now for many good reasons. Uh, We'll go to the fifth Atlanta Brave that is getting drafted in the top 55 in the NFPC, which is just insane when you start penciling that together. And that is Matt Olson, who has an ADP around 45. First year in Atlanta last year, 34 bombs, hit 240, drove in 103. That's Matt Olson, folks. He had that monster year in 2021. It was an amazing year. But what you got last year was Matt Olson on a better baseball team, but this overall profile was the same as almost every other year you've seen him. Still a better batting average than usual, but, I mean, uh, uh, strikeout rate, that's who he is. There's nothing wrong with that. So what's your thought on Matt Olson? I think he's honestly
2: being a bit undervalued after last season. I think people were a bit disappointed because he hit 240 and only hit 34 home runs. But I I would say you got what you paid for in pretty much every aspect, and you shouldn't expect it him to hit 271 again. But in a vacuum, I do think that he's a fine pick, knowing the batting average risk. You're going to get everything else. You're going to get elite power. You're going to get the runs and RBI out of him. I mean, despite the downturn in batting average from 2021, I would still say his first season in Atlanta was very respectable, especially considering the shoes he had to step into and Braves fans put a lot of pressure on him more than he deserved. Freddie Freeman shoes were big, big and nobody wanted to be the guy to replace him. I mean, they signed, they traded for Olson, They signed him to a huge extension and, and the fans expectations were really high early in the season. And to the point where I think it got in his head a bit local Georgia boy too. So like yeah. a lot of pressure to perform, I think his second year having Acuna back in that lineup, while well, the lineup was still deep. That just adds another factor to it. And, I think that he's gonna just kind of hit the ground running this year, and I think we're just gonna see vintage Matt Olson, where he's pretty much a lock for thirty-five home runs, a ton of running RBI, and I think the average could fluctuate between two forty and two sixty, somewhere in that range.
1: Yeah, no, I have nothing nothing against that at all. If you build your roster around it, he's a phenomenal play that you again you know what you are getting when you draft Matt Olson, so that's a a beautiful thing as well. Uh, let's head to the catcher, your new catcher, one Sean Murphy who came up from the Oakland A's most plate appearances by any catcher last season, well over 600. But how's that going to play with him as your starting catcher for fantasy, but also with Travis D'Arnaud in town, who's obviously not going to get, you know, just benched either.
2: Yeah. I think people are kind of overplaying the fact that Murphy's just not going to get plate appearances. They wouldn't have traded for him and signed him if they weren't going to make him the everyday catcher. And we got to remember Travis D'Arnaud has a long history of injuries. He's about to be 34 years old. How I don't know how long his knees can really sustain being behind the plate. Now we've seen him be, you know, very good. I mean, he's been a solid fantasy catcher from what we've gotten out of him the last few years. But again, 2021, he spent a ton of time hurt. He bounced back this year and had 426 plate appearances. But I think this benefits both of them in a, in a big way because when you look at the profiles, Drno is going to benefit from being in the DH role and catching a couple times a week. Murphy's durable enough to handle catching five times a week, and it's even important to remember that last year Murphy DH'd a good bit with Oakland. I mean, he yeah. called 116 times, but he still DH'd 30 games, and I think I suspect that to be the case. Like Atlanta doesn't really have a true DH in there. Like Ozuna's bat sucks. I don't see him as being the TH option. So if Murphy's not catching, he's going to be in the lineup as a D.H. So I still suspect that we get a ton of plate appearances out of Sean Murphy again. Does he eclipse 600? I don't know, because that's rare for a catcher. Yeah, but that's
1: tough for any catcher. (laughs)
2: Yeah, But give me 550 out of him all day, and the power's going to play significantly better than it did in the Coliseum. I mean, Oakland is a terrible place to hit. And he's actually got a supporting cast around yeah, him. I'm base <laughs> for him, too. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, who, who knew this could happen? But yeah. I, I think Murphy could be in for a career year. And I think we saw that in a way last year. It was his career best year. But I think the average ticks up. I mean, the numbers just don't really back a 250 hitter when you're looking at a 78% contact and a 85% Z contact. I just see a, a hitter that gives me a better average than this especially when he's 20 plus percent line drive healthy home run the fly ball I don't know I, I think 22 I think he could approach 25 home runs with a 260 average
1: which really, in that lineup mm-hmm. pretty enticing yeah that would play very very well he's been a conundrum for me so it's good to hear kind of a Braves perspective on that situation because I've always you said one of the best points many good ones but they traded for him for a reason, and they extended him for a reason. They're yeah. not going to platoon him, whichever there, no. their So no. that's a very, very, very valid point to make in that scenario. Yeah, that you know, narrative will just go away. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. That crappy bat you talked about, though, Marcelo Zuna, he <laughs> is supposed to be back in action to start the season. And it's a weird one with him. because 80-piece, 333. I've had a lot of drafts where it gets to that point in the draft, I'm looking at him going, this dude wasn't that far removed from like a 25-plus home run dude. Like – He always had power. The average was shaky from time to time. He's just a dummy, but I'm not going to get into that issue. But um, the dude can hit when he could hit. Now the question is, can he hit? What's your thoughts on Ozuna coming into the season? Because for now, he's going to be starting for the Braves.
2: Well, I mean, he almost has to because they're paying him. I mean, his contract definitely warrants playing. And unfortunately, they're not going to be able to salary dump him to anybody. I think they tried it at the deadline last year. just wasn't happening. I'd be shocked if anybody takes on. I mean, he's got two more years at 16.3 mil each. Ooh, no. When, he, when he's coming off the two seasons that he's had, yeah. not likely. But then you look back at the 2020 season, and while it was shortened, I mean, the dude did hit three thirty eight yep. with 18 home runs and 267 plate appearances.
0: Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss.
2: I don't know. I'm like, it's weird because a part of me thinks that like, he's just not really wanted in the clubhouse. He's just kind of forced to be there. Yeah. Uh, maybe an off season of mending can kind of help this. But again, we're looking at two straight seasons of him doing stupid stuff and yep. there's not any way to kind of go around that. Nope. The power was there. He hit 23 bombs last year. So as a late round power flyer, then there's a chance. I mean, yeah. He he plays a terrible left field, but he's going to get reps out there. The Braves have signed a ton of guys to minor league deals that have a chance to make the roster in left field, but I just don't really see any, be anybody but him or Eddie Rosario bearing a surprise trade. So you're probably right. Ozuna's going to get reps in left, and he's going to get reps at DH. So what can we expect? Hopefully better than last year. I mean, yeah. even if he just bumps closer to – a 240 average as late as he's going there's power and gosh he was staring me down in the face at like 415 at dc the other day and yep. i just didn't do it i was like why i should have but yep. that that's late
1: that's what i'm saying like his adp is 330 340 but he falls in a lot of drafts you saying I, i've done it so many times and i'll go around and, he, and he's there again in the next round I'm like dude like I no in the back of my head i wouldn't be shocked if somehow he has 30 home runs just because yep. that's like he's this talent's there because you said he had 23 last year if somehow that average increases a bit like 30 might be crazy, but it's not insane. Let's put it that way. Like It's it's doable. And then you mentioned that offense. If he starts doing that in that offense, like goodness gracious, what he could do at the same time, the dude could fall off the map and be platooning with God knows who. And that could be a whole other situation. But, again, you're not paying the price for him anymore, which is interesting. Um, you mentioned another name there in Eddie Rosario. Let's jump to him real quick. Um, he's going to like 470, almost 480. Um, and with, with him, it's interesting because – used to be a, like a perennial power speed dude. It's kind of been a weird injury riddled slash platoon situation in recent years. But you mentioned like they, the Braves signed a lot of minor league guys to play the of. Right now they're minor league guys unless spring training changes things. So Rosario's kind of got a role for now. So how do you look at him entering the season?
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I I don't see Sam Hilliard beating him out. I don't see Jordan Luplow beating him out. All these guys that they've, I forgot. They picked up somebody else random the other day that is going to get a spring training invite. Oh, they've got Kevin Pillar. They've got Eli (laughs) Y like all these guys, like these just guys that never made it. Really, I I don't see. I just don't see it. I mean, it's strangely enough, Eddie's still a fan favorite because of the World Series run. That was an amazing run, man. I mean, he was so elite during that playoff run, and I think that kind of bolstered the expectations a, a little too high, but also it's important to remember that he started last year and he was like literally blind. Like yep. he, he missed a significant chunk of time. Cause he had to have eye surgery. He couldn't see for the first like month of the season. Like, why were you out there anyway? <laughs> it was, it was weird, but he came back and he still didn't produce afterwards, but it's pretty evident. Like you look at the numbers and you're like, yeah, I'm, I can see that he, he couldn't see. I mean, the contact rate dropped from 82.2% in 2021 to 70.6% last year and he's been consistently around 80 percent so maybe that ticks back up I mean the zone contact was down as well I'm hopeful that he does have a bit of a rebound and there's some intriguing speed there's not a lot of power in the profile but he's somewhat intriguing from a power speed late round guy and I mean even if he just gives us a 260 average which is what we saw the previous two seasons before and he's he's a career 270 hitter so I think a bounce-back possibility is there. I'm not fully counting on it. I wish the Braves would go out and trade for a top left fielder, but I don't think they have the pieces to do so. So the last two guys we talked about are going to get regular reps, I think, and we're going to get 400-plus plate appearances out of Eddie Rosario and Marcelo Zuna. So just in that, I
1: think there's value. Especially in DCs. Like, that's huge value, especially where they're going, where there's a bunch of random guys at that point in time you're really taking gambles on. These guys are going to get the play. And that's very vital. The last hitter I have down here, unless you have more after this, is Vaughn Grissom. And it's a really interesting kind of roller coaster we've been on with Vaughn Grissom because he had the Monster Minor League season, gets the promotion with all the injuries to Albies and company, played really well, really, really well. Then all of a sudden it felt like a weird platoon started like like out of nowhere, but maybe I wasn't paying close attention to the Braves situation. It just kind of happened. And that leads into this season where, you know, be like early September. Like, oh, Vaughn's the guy. His pencil is gonna play shortstop. with Swanson's gone. Blah blah blah. And now there's kind of like concerns that he might not be the full time guy still. So, how do you uh, approach Vaughn Grissom heading into drafts right now? As he's got a wonderful ADP of one eighty two. He's interesting,
2: and I'll say this: I think the narrative is that Vaughn Grissom is terrible at shortstop. And that's absolutely not the case. I've watched him coming through the minor leagues. And to say he's a horrible shortstop is a horrible take. He may not ever win a gold glove, but I think there's still can be a solid shortstop without winning gold gloves. And we don't need Von Grissom to be a a gold glove caliber shortstop there. So my thing is if the Braves did not trust him to be the everyday shortstop, they would have just resigned Dansby or they would have gone after somebody else via trade. But, Ron Washington is probably the best infield coach in all of baseball, and he's consistently vouched for Von Grissom all offseason, and he's worked with him all offseason. Literally yesterday, here's what he said about him. He, he's, he said that Von Grissom, it's on exciting growth all season. He said, I see things I didn't see earlier. He's got aptitude. He really, really wants it, and he's been putting in the time to deserve it. So I don't think Von Grissom would – be supported by Washington and the Braves in this way. If that were not the case, he's going to be the shortstop. He's going to be a solid shortstop. And honestly, I think it's crazy to say otherwise. So the good thing is that if the glove plays, then the bat's going to play because Von Grissom is a really good contact hitter that has sneaky power and speed. I'm not sure the expectations to be that he's a 2020 bat, but we look at the contact numbers, he had 90% zone contact in his debut. This is exactly who he was his entire minor league career, which is certainly exciting because he stepped right into the majors and continued that. The power numbers, well, he's probably never going to be an elite source of power. I don't really need him to be because he's going to put so many balls into play. He doesn't strike out often at all. I mean, we're talking about twelve percent or stri- strikeout to eight percent walk rate in the minors last year, which is pretty darn impressive. And then it's important to remember he had less than a hundred plate appearances in A before he made that jump True. to the majors last year and performed. Yes, there's questions of why he was platoon, like why did he not play every day on the stretch, and I still have a, some questions about that myself. But yeah. Orlando Arcia was swinging a bit of a hot bat, True. so he slotted in at second some. But it was just a weird hot stretch from Arcia, and that's not really who he was. So Grissom probably steps right in and is fine. Like I look in the projections are kind of all over the board with him. They're not sure what to make of him, which is understandable. But I think there's definitely 15 home run pop in the bat, and there's certainly 20 stolen base upside. Very efficient on the base pass and a good runner. And with the contact numbers that he puts up and the heavy amount of line drives that he hits, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a 275 average or better out of them. And the projection systems also see that, which is kind of aggressive for uh someone who just turned 22 and barely had time in the majors. So I I'm gonna try to kill the narrative that Grissom's a terrible defender. And if you won't, go check out RM Leighton. Had a great thread about him. R.M. Leighton ate on, on Twitter. He put a thread of a ton of plays that it shortstop. Like he put in like watching like all day Grissom's glove and Delhi. I've seen him live. Too many times, and I'm telling you, he's not a bad fielder.
1: So, all right, for fun, Mr. Braves, um, would you rather take the chance on Ozzy Albie's coming back or wait on Von Grissom because they're both second base eligible? <laughs> I might take a chance
2: on Grissom later. I mean, that's a uh-huh. it's, it's an interesting a... prof- profile, right? I mean, it's just the the potential return on investment is just.
1: So yeah. much higher with Grissom than Albies at the price. So. And you wouldn't be shocked if they finished with similar stat lines if Grissom played the whole season. No, I mean,
2: I think Albies gets to more power, but overall, I mean, yep,
1: very similar.
2: similar. Yeah, pretty close.
1: All right, any other hitters that I'm not thinking of, or have we pretty much covered all those? No. Guys for it? Yeah, unless I we got want to talk all.
2: about Arcea or nope, Sam Hillier, nope, and I'm nope, good. Nope. No, those, are guys <laughs> that, those
1: are guys I pick up in deep leagues, when I'm desperate. Um, let's go to the pitchers here. And again, like the hitters, this is why they win World Series and contend loaded. Let's start with my boy, Max Freed. Absolutely love Max Freed. Thing is, most people are starting to love Max Freed because he's got an ADP around 70 now, but the dude just eats innings, um, which allows him to accumulate strikeouts. And more importantly, the ratios are great. Everyone goes, oh, he's too much of a fly ball pitcher. It's called limiting contact, like quality contact, folks. This is what Max Freed does. Like, I had to make this argument last year. People are kind of believing it a little more now because he's done it for like three straight seasons. It's like, oh, maybe this is who he is. Um, what's your thoughts on Max Fried? Because I think he's awesome. I think he's worth the pick. Um, I have no problem him, even if you wait on pitching to be your ace, but definitely an SP2. I love Max Fried. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what narrative you could make against him at this point. I mean, the
2: last three seasons, we're looking at 2 ra RA. Yep. Over three seasons. Pretty good. I, I get it. The strikeout numbers aren't great, but you're not drafting him as an ace. Where he's going, he's not an SP1. Good. So I can live with the 23% strikeout rate in that range. You're right. He's an elite uh, soft contact producer. I mean, that's that's what he does. And yeah, fly balls, whatever. I mean, he generates pop-ups, not like heavy fly balls to right and left field. So – with Freed, I think we just kind of know who he is at this point. Now, should we expect another sub-2-5 ERA? Probably not, but you don't need him to where, where you're drafting them. And we're talking about the runner-up Cy Young. So really good season out of Freed. We saw a career high in innings, and I don't see any reason we shouldn't expect 185 to 195 this year. Usually we can see pitchers take a 10-15 to 15 inning step forward. He walked 4.4% of batters last year. His walk rate has improved by over 2% each of the last two years. So he was at 8.5% in 2020. Small sample, so you can say what you want to about it, but still 8.5 to 6.1 to 4.4. You love to see that. Yep. I don't really have much of an argument to make about Freed other than I just think he's really good. You can expect a lowest three ERA out of him. You know Enough strikeouts to be serviceable. Low walks, low whip. Across the board, he's going to get a lot of wins. I mean, 14 each of the last two years. That's a stat. The Braves win a lot of games, so that's valuable.
1: Yep, he's a stud, absolute stud. Another guy that's a stud who is getting drafted like an ace around pick 30 right now, and you're either Team Strider or you're not Team Strider, it feels like. That is Spencer Strider who had the rookie years of rookie years, and honestly, nothing against Michael Harris. I was kind of shocked Spencer did not win the rookie of the year because you have a sub-3, almost a 2-5 year, closer to 2-5 than sub-3. Strikeouts everywhere, started in the bullpen, finished on the – like just the repertoire is amazing. Um, the arguments always oh, only got two pitches too bad. Um, what's your thoughts on Spencer Strider? Like the, the talents unbelievable, but there's arguments about, uh, I guess, on of longevity, but uh, innings pitch, two pitch mixes is he quality starter ace material for that. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly presents some interesting risk, but you
2: can't really deny the upside. I mean, he is one of two pitchers in history, to strike out 200 batters in less than 150 innings. So the only one to do it in less than 140. So the two pitchers that have done it in less than 150 were him and Chris Sale. Sale did it in 147 innings, and Strider did it in 131. <laughs> That's just insane to think about. The only pitcher in history to strike out 200 while allowing less than 100 hits. The The numbers are absolutely insane. I guess people want to question if a two-pitch guy can be sustainable. But when you have two pitches that are as elite as Spencer Strider's, you, you can get away with it all day long. Now, the interesting thing is his changeup's pretty darn good, too. He just doesn't throw it. If he could just throw it 10% of the time, I'd be okay. Just throw it exclusively more to left-handed batters. And I'll be fine with that. Run it away from those lefties, and let's, let's do the thing. But even if he doesn't, I don't care. I mean, we're talking about 98 to 100 every time at the top of the zone. Hitters can't catch up. The slider is just downright filthy. He can be fine with two pitches. So, I guess the other question is like the oblique injury. He had an oblique. That's a good one too, yeah. So you have to question like what does that look like? And I, I want to say it's
1: probably Derek Rhodes. Derek Rhodes came out like a week or so or something on that, yeah. Yes,
2: that's what I was thinking. He had posted something about it and he said he found that there was not a common recurring theme in obliques with pitchers, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. I do want to find them yeah, that's
1: what it was. It's something like more often than not, I think it was like one in three or even less was like a re- reoccurrence. Like, once they're healthy, they're healthy, and it's not like a, a power hitter that keeps tweaking it type thing. Yeah, so I'm not particularly worried about that. And
2: if you're worried about his playoff start against the Phillies, he was hurt. Like yeah. it was, it was pretty clear, shirt because the velo was down. Like that pitch that he allowed that monster home run off of was 93. There was clearly something not right with him and the oblique injury. So I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure I can get myself to draft Strider there, but
0: mm-hmm.
2: I mean, if he even, let's say he regresses. So let's just regress him back to a 3 3 ERA. Let's regress him from a 38% strikeout to a. Thirty-three percent strikeout. Still insane. I know. And let's say he ups the innings to one sixty. That still looks like a pretty valuable pitcher in that
1: spot. So, I don't would know. you rather? Would you rather Strider or Degrom? They're going right next to each other. I know. It's a fun
2: question. <laughs> I know. I think. De, I mean, I think Strider throws more innings. So, uh-huh. the Degrom big... is the best pitcher in baseball on a per innings yeah. basis. What do we get from him? How many innings? I know. <laughs> yeah. If we knew. It, we knew we'd be rich. We could such win the a, main. Such a, fun,
1: such a fun question with them going right next to each other. Yeah. Uh, another fun thing, if you're at a bar and you said, hey, can you name the guy that won 21 games last year? I guarantee you Kyle Wright's name would not come up. And that's an impressive thing, looking at that stat. The dude was great last year. Kind of, I, Once Strider Mania came over, we kind of forgot a little bit about who Kyle Wright was because he like took over the first half of the year. Strider took the second half. But still, you know, Wright finished with a 3190 RA33 XFIP, 180 innings, which is outstanding. And he got the 21 dubs because he mentioned good teams, good teams, win games, good pitchers, win games on good teams. Uh, What's your thoughts on Kyle Wright coming into the 2023 at pick like 120-ish?
2: Yeah, I think he's a decent value there. And I think some people will question whether what he did is sustainable or not. I think it 100% is because Wright, while he was horrific in the majors, before this year, I mean, he had several stints. He debuted in 2018 as a 22-year-old, and it took him to 2022 to actually perform. But he was always really good in AAA. Complete head case when he got in the majors. But this is something that really changed my analysis a bit, and Ian Kahn talks about it a lot, is you can watch pitchers on the mound. And when I watched Kyle Wright in the World Series game, in Game 4 when in 2021, when he had to come in relief and throw those four and two-thirds innings, he he was a different pitcher and it was just a different mentality. And at that point, like I was like, okay, like I think Kyle Wright could really be a guy next year. And we saw that. So is he likely to sustain a 319 ERA? Maybe not. But we also look in the fact that was actually kind of inflated because he had a horrific start against Oakland in September where he allowed eight earned runs. It was a bizarre start out of him. At the Coliseum, where he just got hit around, he'll have two home runs and eight earned, and that inflated his ERA a bit. And he still finished at a three one nine for the season. So, I think Kyle Wright can be a mid three ERA, and at pick one twenty, a mid three ERA is really solid. He's kind of like Freed, where he's similar strikeouts in that that range, like twenty three percent. So, I don't know. I'm
1: kind of a fan. What are your thoughts there? Because I'm I'm curious. I've been very torn on him. I've been, I, I, It's been hard for me to get in on him. I like him. I, I like him. I love the talent. I look like who's going around him. It's like, am I taking another hitter there? Or do I go like earlier and get a Blake Snow right before him? Or do I wait a little longer and take a chance on like a Nick Lodolo who's – you know, Kyle Wright's at least proven it for a full season, so you have to kind of second guess it. Uh, it it's mainly more of a, a hitter's section of the draft for me, so I've kind of missed out mm-hmm. on Kyle Wright, if that's the way to say it. But maybe I need to reassess maybe because it's like everything you mentioned makes sense. And I love that comp to freed if you think about it in a nutshell. It's like innings, ra- uh, ratios, strikeouts, a lot of similarities. A lot of similarities between the two. So why is one going like 60 picks you know ahead of him?
2: Yeah. And it's also worth noting that Wright changed his repertoire completely, where he started throwing the curveball most of any pitch. Like he ditched the four seam like down significantly and he threw the curveball 35% of the time. And I'm always a proponent of pitchers throwing their best pitch the most often. And that's exactly what we saw out of Wright. Like, he was like, all right, screw the slider. It wasn't good. Let me throw the curveball. And the curveball was really stinking good. It had a 33.5% whiff rate on it. The sinker was a good ground ball pitch to get out when he needed it to be. And we really saw that tick up too. So, all those things just kind of lead me to the fact that there is some sustainability in here, mm-hmm. except maybe not to the full extent that we saw, but if even if he's increases from a three one nine to a three five era like Still i'd be okay with
1: it yeah yeah let's go to the elder statesman of this team and that is charlie morton who is a guy i love the target like i've in years past i haven't gotten there quite yet this year ADP's 160 a lot a little more expensive than usual for chucky but what he does is he throws innings he gets strikeouts and the ratios roller coaster, right? Sometimes it's great. Last year it was like a hiccup, but the XFIP was three six, so maybe he, you know, underachieved a bit. But he just gets you innings, he gets you strikeouts, he just fills like that gap in your rotation. But you still have to pay a, a price like this for him, which you have to pay now. And he just keeps getting older, and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop eventually with Chucky. So, what are your thoughts on Charlie Morton?
2: This is my probably least favorite signing that they've done, and I understand it because he's a leader and they have a young rotation and he's a mentor to a lot of the pitchers. So I think that definitely factored into this contract and golly, I don't know. He was so just up and down all last year. I mean, you mentioned he threw innings. That was the positive. He got your strikeouts. I mean, he struck out over 200 batters, which, you know, very few pitchers can say they do. He did it still at 38. The price is what concerns me though. You mentioned that's a higher price than I want to pay for, For Charlie Morton and when does the bottom just fall out and we're talking about 39 year old very few can sustain an elite level there I mean Verlander is a unicorn in that sense where comes back from TJ at 39 and is Cy Young
1: yep it's real tricky that's why I have not pulled uh, the trigger on Charlie yet and I I usually love to it's just that price is too much I want to ask you a quick question on Mike Soroka because this is a guy that I didn't even want to draft last year because of injuries. And it it made sense when it actually happened. But I almost forgot he was even, you know, in the rotation right now. I thought he was still hurt, but he came out in an interview just a day or two, like Friday, Saturday or something and said, this is the first off season in like two or three years at least where I'm healthy and actually competing for a job instead of just competing for my, like ability to pitch. And which was really interesting for me to hear as a baseball guy, because that's a different mindset, as you would know, that someone coming into camp now, not worried about his health. He's like, I'm healthy, and I'm now I'm competing for a job. Like, there's a difference. And we all know how good Mike Soroka was. So I don't know if he can get there this year because he's been kind of off for so long. But what's your thoughts on Soroka? who we at one point were drafting like Max Fried, and now you are literally getting at a tremendous discount. I know I'm not obviously the only one who forgot about him. Almost a 480p right now.
2: Yeah, he's, I mean, talk about all the weird things that happen. I mean, a fluke Achilles tear in a game in 2020. He has the surgery. He tears it again, rehabbing, because the surgery wasn't done right. He ends up being allergic to the stitches. The dude just had, like, such a bad run of luck. And I think he's, like you said, the comment that he made was that, like, it tells me that he's ready to go. Yep. He's only 25 years old still. Like that's yep. weird to think. He debuted at 20. He debuted at 20 years old in 2018 and had a 3.51 ERA. 2019 over the full season, he had 2.68 ERA. I know people don't like Soroka. They didn't like him then because of the K rate. I don't care. There's was elite command control. He got a lot of balls on the ground. Like, he just got the job done consistently, and you can live with a lower K rate. When you're getting elite ratios, and I think that's what we're going to get from a healthy Mike Soroka. And I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that he was able to have a regular off season for the first time in two years. So he's had no restrictions. He's going to be pitching for a job. It's interesting because him and Ian Anderson are best friends actually, and they're the ones that are going to be competing for that fifth spot. So it adds another element too, where it's like that friendly competition, where it's like. Yeah. even to beat you and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out because anderson's also been he's been working in pitch labs this offseason and we've seen anderson be good in the past so that fifth spot will be fun
1: yeah and anderson uh ian anderson why do i have way too many anderson's on uh well oh that's why um he has an adp of over 500 so almost 100 picks after Soroka. if you're hitting into like a dc which one would you take a chance on
2: Honestly, I'd like both because I'm just not certain that we – Well, Charlie might not pitch a full season or something. That's, so. that's kind of my no. fault is that yeah. if they may go six-man in some spots just to give Morton more rest. That makes sense. And I, I struggle to say that because you – and also Strider could use both those guys yeah. or ones that would benefit from that just from an inning standpoint. But you're freed and you're right. You need to throw every fifth day. So it kind of throws a loop into it. But it's a strong possibility they could go with a six man for a little bit. Okay. I don't know. I can't say that for certain. It hasn't been discussed, but I mean, I would say Freed and Ryder, the only ones I'm confident that throw 180 plus, and the rest could benefit from a six man rotation. So I like it. Who knows? Uh, right. I like both, honestly, taking shots on them. A
1: couple of nice late-round uh, D.C. darts, that's for sure. Uh, let's go to the bullpen here. Iglesias. When they made the trade last year for him, I said he's the closer in 2023. People are still stressed out about Doug know, Kimley Jansen signing somewhere. I'm like, they did not trade for him to put him as not the closer. Like He still had two or three more years on his deal. Like It was not happening. Well, he's the closer. He's electric. He was great as a closer, great as a setup man for the Braves. I don't have a lot to say about Rysel except the dude's awesome. Uh, do you have anything else on him? And what else do you think about the bullpen that might have some spec chances for fantasy? Yeah, the bullpen's got a lot of intriguing pitchers.
2: But I just, like you said, you, you don't pay someone. They traded for him, and he has three years left on a deal. at 16 mil a year. You don't pay a seventh inning guy that. Yep. I get that that's what he did last year, but they had chances as well. Yeah, they, they, they knew they weren't, last year. they weren't re-signing Jansen, and they knew that all offseason. I don't care what they said at the beginning of the offseason what I said they were going to try to re-sign Jansen. It was it was Iglesias' job, and that's why they traded for him, and they gave nothing, which is bizarre. It was just a salary dump. Angels being angels, baby. Yeah, but you know, Iglesias was so good after he came over to Atlanta, and it just seems like it's his role to dominate. He had a, a 0.34 ERA in Atlanta over 26 innings with 30 Ks and you you heard that right 0.34 ERA insane it's insane so I mean he's the guy I think that you know Kinley had I think 38 saves last year if I'm not mistaken so those opportunities are there and he should get 35 plus I think AJ Minter's interesting Minter's really a lead actually and he just doesn't really get the recognition So he could get some appearances in the ninth if there's lefties. But
1: for the most part, I am pretty confident that Iglesias just locked into the role. I'd be be shocked if he disappears, that's for sure. Um, Let's talk prospects real quick, as you are the Dynasty dugout master himself. Um, You know, usually we look for guys that are going to be potentially impactful this year. And we're talking about the Braves who are super young, so most of the impact might be gone. But there's got to be some because they don't mind bringing them up from double A, even as we can tell. So, what what are some names we could potentially look for on the radar in Atlanta?
2: Well, the farm is barren at the upper levels right now, and people kind of want to use that and scrap. They're all the bigs, right? So, (laughs) the system looks bad, but think of in a normal scenario, you would have Strider, you'd have Harris and Grissom all still prospects, and they'd probably all be top twenty five prospects. So, the system looks completely different if you view it that way. And the fact that they just don't need anybody to come up at any point soon because everybody's locked in for so long. I mean, the the line of pitchers that's waiting to get a shot is ridiculous. That's why they tr- they felt comfortable trading all those guys to Oakland for Sean Murphy because they didn't need a Kyle Mer- Muller. They didn't need uh, Roy Bersalinis. They didn't need these guys anytime soon. So it just made sense to do. But uh, Jared Schuster is the closest one. He's a former first-round pick in 2020 out of Wake Forest. A lefty last year through 140 innings between double and triple A, where he had a 329 ERA, a 104 whip, and 145 Ks. Schuster's a solid command guy, uh, features a fastball, not great. I mean, the fastball is really the issue, and I'm afraid will hurt him in the majors because it's just low 90s, not too great of a pitch. And it's interesting because before. The COVID shutdown in 2020 with the, when the Braves drafted him, he was like sitting 95 consistently at Wake, but then he's dipped back down to averaging 92 last season. But he does have a slider that's elite, a lot of swing and misses. His changeup is by far his best pitch. So th- the three-pitch mix will be pretty good, I think. Gets plenty of whiffs. He'll be a serviceable Major League starter. High floor. I don't expect him to ever be an
1: ace, but you never know because the Braves are just – Developing wizards, just keep so. doing it. Yeah. yeah, it's unbelievable, and and they'll probably sign them for a seven year, like thirty four million dollar deal or something because it's what they do. And it's just, I'm not even making fun of them because I'm just jealous. Like it's it's absolutely <laughs> impressive. I don't know what potion they drink before they enter the room. It's it's good because maybe these guys are all buying in on the team concept. And it's like, hey, we're gonna get paid and survive just fine. Let's make it work. I don't know, but that's a whole other probably podcast for another day. Um, but any final thoughts on the Braves? This was a great podcast because, like I said before the show with you, and then on the intro, this team is loaded for fantasy. Like, there's okay. sh- literally we talk about so many teams. And it's like you know five or six of this and a couple of this. Literally, everybody in the starting lineup is pretty much going to get rostered, and four, if not all five, starting pitchers are in play for the Braves. Like, and the, obviously their closers, one of the elite closers. It's it's a like I said, there's five guys in the top fifty-five. Like, that's insane. So uh, what's your thoughts on the Braves?
2: Well, I mean, I never try to bring bias into it for fantasy, but it's certainly a a talented team. It's a young team that should be a contender again. And I I don't see – I know the Mets got better. The Phillies got better. But I don't really see much of a step back from a team that won 101 games last year. And obviously the Mets did too. So it's going to be a – you know, a knockdown drag out fight for the division, it'd be fun top three for sure. But Atlanta has all the pieces to contend. It a healthy Acuna season could be the difference. Healthy Acuna, healthy Albies like that'll that lineup could do things that we haven't seen before. So, uh, that's like I said, for fantasy purposes, all these guys are useful in some way or another, and even their worst lineup pieces like Rosario and Ozuna are useful in deeper leagues because yeah.
1: they're going to play and
2: they're going to be in a good lineup that could produce.
1: So yeah. And if they hit, if they all of a sudden hit a hot streak somewhere here or there, like that in line, gonna be just huge for those guys. And it's going to be fun. It's gonna be a fun year with the Atlanta Braves, but what else is a fun year is the stuff that Mr. Chris Clegg is pumping out there. So before we head out, remind everybody about your sub stack and what else they can find you doing these days and on Twitter, all the good stuff.
2: Sure. Yeah. So Twitter, everything pretty much goes there at Roto Clegg, C L E G G. Find me there. Um, a substack is dynastydugout.substack.com. We're doing stuff for pitcher List this month. We've been pumping out a team top 15 every single day. So we've had different writers doing those. I think I'll end up with doing about 10 or 12 of the 30s, which has been good and fun. A lot of work to write up 15 players in each yep. system. And you might say, oh, it's just 15. But when you're it's, you know, it's deep diving, just, it's deep diving yep. yeah, deep diving each prospect, like, I've got one that's coming out on Monday for the Pirates, and then again on Tuesday for the Padres. So it's just, it's fun, it's taxing, but it's good research. So I guess I do it. I'm like, oh man, I was too low on this guy, too high on this guy, and it's like, I constantly adjust my rankings. I'm never content, which I guess can be a, a bad thing in some ways, but a good thing also. So, yeah, doing some work at Fantasy Pros too. You know, some articles here and there, but yeah, most of the stuff's at Pitcher List in my Substack.
1: Awesome. Yeah, everybody, make sure you check it out. One of the good guys on the fantasy uh, radar not on the radar anymore he is on the fantasy uh, map these days and much much more so check him out on the twitter at roto Clegg and don't go near him on a golf course because he'll smoke you <laughs> but uh we will catch up with him some other time chris thanks for joining me, my friend i appreciate it yep thanks
2: so much always a pleasure bubba
1: everybody this is bench with bubba your atlanta braves season preview with one chris Clegg. catch you guys next time